0: In today's show, we're talking to Bernard Moix, who recently completed the Milamilia with Lara, our previous guest, that Porsche girl. They did it in his speed so we're going to talk to him about what it meant to him to compete in this type of event and just achieving this type of bucket list item. I'm Mark from most social media, as Mark and Cars, and,
1: and I'm Ajmal, flat cap driver on only on YouTube and Instagram, but looking forward to the chat. Uh, this is Porsche Talk. Welcome,
0: Bernard. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. You did Milimilia. We all want to do it. How was the experience for you?
2: Well, it's a it's a long story for me. Probably even uh, longer than for Lara, because uh, you know, living three hours away from Brescia, uh, I've been there before, and I've been interested in the Milimilia since I'm interested in, in cars, so that's pretty much forever. And uh, about. Ten years ago, I visited the museum that's in Brescia, a beautiful museum, by the way, if uh, you ever have a chance to, to go visit it. And um, uh, then in 2019, a very good friend of mine, Reinhold Planck, who is a, a, one of the best uh, pre-restorers in the world, he, he lives in Tyrol, Italian part of what used to be Austria. And uh, Reinhold did a Mille with a 1951 coupe that he had just restored for a customer friend of his in Japan. And the customer said, okay, if you want to do the Mille with the car, I'd be happy to let you do it. And I think he was kind of uh, proud that uh, the car would, would be displayed that way. So Reinhold uh, managed to get in, which is not very easy, as you know. And I followed, the for the first time I followed a friend Actually, taking part uh, in the race and that was very exciting because uh, you know each car has a chip and you can follow the cars uh, at the very second. You can follow them on Google Maps and you know exactly where they are when they stop. When suddenly you have a bunch of numbers and it it means food or break or whatever checkpoint. It's, it was very interesting interesting. Sorry. And so I followed out for the, the four days and I said, wow, that's must be some, some adventure. Then the the next year was a little difficult because of the pandemic. And another friend, these, these are all very close friends, uh, real Porsche enthusiasts. The next friend was uh, Fabrice Losfeld from Belgium. And he also owns a 1955 Speedster just like ours. And, um, he was able to get into the race, also thanks to a friend of his, who knows, Jackie X, who knows,
0: Chopin, family. <laughs> There's so, some big names there. Also the
2: pandemic, yeah, it's a small world, you know, yes. passionate people. And also the pandemic helps uh, because the people from uh, overseas were lacking. So they were more open to European um, uh, teams. So Fabrice did it in 2020, so it, it became even more exciting because I followed him even more than I did uh, Reinald right the, the previous year. And I even watched him live on TV at the departure and arrival and things like that. And the next year, a third very good friend, and these four people, we are friends together too. So it's a small world. His name is uh, Dario. He's uh, an Italian guy who lives in, uh, most of the time in Dubai. And he owns a beautiful 1953 uh, 356 that used to be here, exactly where I live. And it's an unrestored car. And he took part of it in in the millennium. And I told uh, uh, my wife, I said, okay, let's go see them, Tina and Dario. They they were going to do it as a couple. Let's go see them and cheer them in uh, Brescia. And uh, we want to encourage them and see the, the, the real thing from close up. So we did. And I love the atmosphere, but I also realized that the fee was very expensive. Okay. It was almost impossible to get in without uh, some plug or some, you know, acquaintance. And so. I left Brescia saying, okay, let's keep the, the dream uh, in our head. And that was a beautiful experience. And we will come back to see the departure or precise uh, parts of the race. And I had kind of forgotten about even the idea of taking part ever in the media media.
0: Wow, okay. So that so, must have really knocked you about once you experienced that uh, difficulty of entry and the cost of entry by the sounds of it.
2: Yeah. The, the, everything, you know, we, I. It's funny because I talked about this adventure uh, not later than today with a friend, and he said, well, all the, the planets were in line, you know, I don't know if you say that in English, but um, it, it's, it's strange. Like last year, the, the Speedster was barely finished and it was not uh, road ready completely. It needed some testing after uh, over two years of restoration. So I wouldn't have a, a car, uh, I wouldn't have had a car in 21. And then in 22, I'm, you know, I'm going to Dusseldorf for my job. Uh, I'm a graphic designer and we were editing a a photograph uh, book for a friend of mine. And we went to see the editor. And on the way back, I checked my emails in the train. I I left my, my social media life and everything on the side for two days being professional. And in the train on the way back, I checked messages and, you know, Instagram and stuff. And... I, I created a page on Facebook, which is called a PRIA a Porsche 356, 1948 to 1955, which became a reference. We can talk about that later. And one of the members shared Lara's post. And she said, basically, uh, I need a car for the Mille Everything is paid for. All I need is a car. I would prefer a Porsche. That's, I see that. So I check out Lara. I only knew her a little bit from the Porsche Newsroom publication. So I check her out on uh, the internet, on her website and some links she had put on. And, you know, Lara is a very attractive woman, as you know. And so the first thing I said, I told my wife, I said, okay, here is this opportunity before I do any move. What do you say about it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Safe move. Good move. Yeah.
2: Well, it's just being uh, respectful and polite. Of course. And and so we checked together a little bit. And, you know, she she was backed up by Porsche uh, uh, America. So, you know, they wouldn't uh, support somebody who's not serious. That was one of the main uh, reasons I was was pretty happy uh, discovering that. And then um, she said, okay, yeah, go ahead, contact her. Why not? Give it a shot. You know, don't risk much except uh, no. So I, uh, what's funny is that I contacted her through uh, through Facebook, through Messenger, and I, I wrote a real nice message. You know, I've been uh, writing in 356 since, since I was three, and blah, 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 and I would be interested. And I was expecting an answer, you know, and the next day, nothing. So I said, <laughs> wow. <laughs> who, is, who is this girl from California who, who gets offered a brand new, uh, freshly restored Speedster and uh, doesn't even reply? <laughs> then I said, oh, maybe she didn't see the message actually. So I checked her Instagram and wrote the same message and said, well, did you see my message? And she said, no, I didn't know which, which one. And I, you know, I copied and based the same message and, and she replied right away, I mean, in, in, in 10 seconds and say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't do Facebook that much anymore, blah, blah, blah. And from then on, she was the, the nicest uh, woman ever, you know. So uh, I had forgotten re- already the, the, you know, the California girl, you know, that's sticky with the street guy. <laughs> so um, she, she explained to me exactly what she told you, like uh, there was a car, uh, she, she had a 54 speedster that a guy supposedly had inherited from his grandfather and wanted the car to, to be, uh, to, you know, to, to be driven, blah, blah, blah. And I told her, as a, well, if, if you don't mind, maybe you, you keep me as a second choice. If anything happens, I'll, I'll be, I'll be ready. And, uh, I thought to myself, maybe uh, I shouldn't be just waiting. I should move ahead. So I went to the website, the Milamilia, and you, you know, you have to enter your car into the registry, sure. Which is kind of a long process. You have to give all the details, like six, ten pages of details about your car: front suspension, rear suspension, blah blah blah. Is it stock? Is it modified? When? How? Etc. So I entered the registry, and I've done the homework pretty much like. 80% of it. And then we are on like on a Wednesday evening, I'm finishing a meeting with a, a customer and I get a, a phone call, actually a, a video call uh, through Instagram, which I didn't know you could do, but you can. And I see uh, Lara, that Porsche girl, and all I see is her hair, you know, just her forehead, <laughs> a little bit of her hair. And she said, "Hi, Bernard, know, this is Lara." And I thought there was something wrong with the iPhone, you know. I said, "Well, I just uh, got up, and you know, I couldn't get ready. I have no makeup on, so I don't <laughs> want you to see my face. It's going to be ugly. So I'm just shouting <laughs> instead of calling." But that was very funny. I thought, and she's a very funny, funny lady. So uh, anyway, she says, uh, "Okay, the, the, the 54 vanished as soon as we asked for details." And um, now, would you, would you still be interested? And I said, yeah, of course, I'm over-interested. And she said, well, we just have one problem. Uh, this was Wednesday evening for here. And she said, well, everything must be finished by uh, Friday evening, mm-hmm. Friday late mm-hmm. afternoon. So all the registry, because that's when they closed um, the sponsor teams. I said, okay, well, I'll take care of it. And the next day, I had done a lot of uh, work already, as I told you. And at like 4.30 in the afternoon, after I had sent everything, I got an email back, which was one of the best email I ever got. It said in in Italian, dear Mr. Moax, if you're still interested in participating in the race, please click here. And I clicked, and the whole screen became uh, "You've been admitted to the Mila and million. It was red and blue, and that yeah. was
0: uh, that was fantastic. That would have yeah. been a so, uh, jump up and down moment. Well, it was uh, more like
2: uh, pinch myself. <laughs> like, oh wow, that was too quick, too easy, too fast, and actually, you know, uh, it had been prepared ahead of time. So it was a big thing.
0: So amazing uh, so
1: that went really quickly so it went really quickly from you didn't know whether you were going or not you didn't know whether you're entered yeah. but you had the form done almost and then suddenly you get this call from a forehead that says yeah like 20, 20, 20 hours, 20 hours. <laughs> yeah 20-22 <laughs> yeah. so hours and I don't know why you know uh, sometimes um,
2: I think uh, when we really are interested in something or we put energy in something it makes things move. You t- you can't change the, the way things happen, but the energy can help. And I don't know why, but I was in the back of my head for the whole week that I had not been in contact with Lara. I was thinking, hmm, there's still a chance that she calls yeah. me. You never know. You never know. And maybe I should go ahead. Maybe I should uh, do the registry thing and everything. And I wasn't, it, it's strange, but I was only, Eighty percent surprised when she called me because it was already in my head. So, so it was a great moment. I actually the the, the time she called me with her hair and her forehead was <laughs> the best moment.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm a firm believer in energy and 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 belief in something that it's going to happen. So I, I completely get that. But from that from that moment on, obviously things must have happened fairly quickly. So from that moment where you got that acceptance on the screen. How long after that did you have to be?
2: Oh, so that that was kind of early because they they closed um, the sponsor teams uh, earlier than the regular teams. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's quite a a lot of work because um, I realized that out of the, I believe 425 cars plus the military ones, like 460 cars this year, about, Close to 150 cars are, are teams from sponsors or uh, mm-hmm. secondary or third sponsors. You know, but still, in some way, there are um, uh, groups that are that have some kind of arrangement with the race, and there are only like 300 um, uh, private teams that have nothing to do with uh, the organization. So they take care of those. Um, about 150 teams earlier so they can get to the private ones which will probably take more time because they have no support from their uh, uh, like we had support from red uh Redenstein that had done that before and that was like for uh, fifth fourth or fifth year that they were doing that so they, they knew the story they could help us anytime so they they closed that by the end of February. So we still had plenty of time, we had, you know, March, April, May, you know, it was kind of a long wait after that, actually, <laughs> rather than everything. It, everything happened fast the and then you had to wait for long, yeah. Yeah,
1: so, okay. So not that quick, but did you get a free set of tires?
2: Well, I of course I did, but you know, that was Good. one of the problems is that um, the, you know, the pre they run on 16-inch Sustaining wheels. Uh, yes. Wheels. And bias tires, and I love original cars, and I love the looks of uh, you know I think uh, modern wheels on old cars something is wrong when you look yeah. at them, it doesn't look like they should. when you see james dean's um uh, spitzer, it has sixteens, and it looks perfect when you see a five fifty spider, it has 16s, mm-hmm. and it looks great you start changing that, it looks like a kit car you know, and uh, like yep. a Volkswagen or something but for proportions and stuff, especially on pre-A's. So, um, so, um the first thing I, uh, they said, okay, we're going to have that, uh, Zoom meeting with, um, Udi-Anne Gay, who's, um, the, the director of, uh, Raderstein USA. And then we had Leanne who supported us throughout the whole process. She was in the car with my wife and, uh, and Lara's, uh, Coffee and market, she cooked,
1: yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> um, and uh, she was the, the nicest person in, in the world. And she still is like, actually uh, very, very nice. And um, first thing I, I told them, we had a Zoom meeting, the four of us. Um, and I told them, you know, my car, you, you don't make tires for my car. So we have kind of an issue being in the Reiterstein team and running on the Avons or whatever uh, brand... Fine. So they said, oh, we have a big problem. I said, no, you don't because I checked the rules with the millimilia. It, uh, you can have modifications as long as they were done in the period that is pre 57. Since uh, all the cars were able to run until 57, if you modified things the way they would have done them. And since the next year 56 was 15 inches, it was no problem. So I had a set of, uh, of wheels uh, available, it was no, no big deal. And um, they said, okay, we're going to send you tires. And then Udian, that was very funny because I don't think he has ever seen the Mille Media, but he's, he was very friendly. and said, well, don't forget um, a spare tire. I said, yeah, of course, no, I won't. And he said, well, oh, you'll need two spares. So he said, <laughs> <and> six tires, <laughs> and um, I managed to find a six wheel, which of course I never used. Uh, but uh, no, I have, I have new tires, but I'll put them on another car that can. Uh, so know. is that why
1: those wheels? So on the car that you had during the Mille media, they did not have the hubcaps on. Is that why? Because they were the. No, I could have own?
2: put the hubcaps back, but I I thought it gave a little uh, racier look, like uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. In, uh, in in the old days, they would take off the hubcaps, so they had to change the wheel to be uh, faster. But actually, the the, the, the baby moons, the, the hubcaps are exactly the same uh, from nineteen fifty one to until the the supermodels oh, in BBS. You know,
1: yeah. because ah, I've I've my nineteen sixty six Porsche nine twelve has Fuchs with ah, you wheels on. Wheels.
0: I guess yeah, yeah. So
1: it has the Fuchs wheels on, but I would I would prefer. Yeah, I would prefer yeah. steel wheels on it without hubcaps. Uh, but yeah. people are now onto the fact that people yeah. are—you know—a lot of people who are owners of Porsche, older Porsches want these wheels. So if you were yes. to buy one, because all the way up to nine four four, they were the same wheel, spare wheel. It was yeah. the one that was the spare. So if you try to buy one, they're two hundred pounds for a crusty broken wheel that you then have to get fixed. Then you have to put a tire on, and you're talking, hey, that's you know fifteen hundred pounds to get a set of wheels. So. I've I've left it because it looks fine, but, uh, I will but
2: Your your car has the same um, uh, it, it can change wheels with the, the C generation with the disc brakes, you know, and and everything pre C will be the same uh, bolt pattern. You can just uh, trade them. Except it was very difficult to you know the car was a little, we we had lowered the car a little bit to to make it more um, stable on the road uh, because it, it the, the pre A run rather high because it didn't have much uh, suspension. Like the yes. shocks were very soft. They were like Volkswagen shocks in the 50s, you know? So okay. they had to be a little high. So we dropped a little, the, 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 the rear suspension a little bit. But then to fit the 15-inch tires with the 165 uh, tires, that was very complicated. We had to leave the car, pull the wheels down, and then fit them in and put them oh, back. Wow. But I <laughs> love, like to stuck. Yeah, I like it stuck, but
0: you know I had to have their tyres, of course. Tell me yeah. um, if we can talk about the car a bit more, Bernard. The um, I've made some notes just listening to your conversation. There's a few joined uh, points that we've crossed. It looks like uh, the gentleman in Italy that restores the preas. Yes, that entered the 51. I actually met a gentleman in New Zealand who's got a. 51 that's now back in New Zealand but he sent it over to this guy to get the oh, body okay. and paint done it's a green coupe for you know four digit car so it's a amazing car as you can imagine yeah, it's, it's now. yeah. yeah. and um it's, it's, he's he's also a fairly um enthusiastic collector he's got a um an a excuse me an a4 cam car as well so he's got a gs wow. and uh yeah he's this was the only guy in the world that was ever going to restore his car in his eyes. So, the when he was telling me about it, I'm going, "Are you insane? Sending your car all the way over to Italy to get oh, the yeah. uh, the body done?" But I right. have since seen yeah. the car finished, and you know, if yeah. you have the means, it was the right way to do it. By the looks of it, right? You know, the uh,
2: just before the the um, this summer, we 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 have uh, we are a bunch of friends, including Reinhard, and we every summer we take a um, a uh, drive only with Speedsters and uh, it's very private. It's only uh, 10, 11 cars to the max and we are all very close friends and our wives are friends and, you know, it's a very family thing and we we organize one uh, after the other. And this year, just before we we did that, uh, Reinhold had finished one of the, I believe, 14 or 16 uh, Pre-A Carrara Speedsters mm. and he, he had just finished that. And he also restored, um, he did some incredible cars about, you were talking about four cams. He, he did the, the first ever Porsche to, to bear the Carrera badge and it's a 55 coupe. Yep. And it's a very special car. It's a factory one-off a test car. They only made three coupes, uh, four cam in 55 and he restored one and um, this one was the first ever Porsche Carrera. It's white. It's got the, the, the tail lights are one over the other. It's, it's kind of a strange uh, car. It's, it's been published. It's been best I, of show in Amelia Island. And
0: amazing. He, he's done some amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I understand why your friend sent it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, with your car, tell us the car's history. Like uh, Lara had some insight to it, but I don't think she paid that much attention when you're telling her.
2: Uh, so the, the car was, um, it's a French car actually, you know, like uh, the speedster was uh, obviously designed for the American market uh, mm-hmm. after Hoffman's, uh, request for a lighter convertible cheap car that would go below the $3,000, uh, mark. And so I think it was twenty nine fifteen but anyway, it was below $3,000 and, um, out of the like 1200 uh, pre A speedsters, um, I think a thousand and eighty seven went to America, and the others uh, went throughout the world, mostly in Europe. And uh, this is one of the 10 cars that were delivered new to France through the Sonoto, the, the, the official uh, Porsche um, importer in, in those days. and. Uh, uh, yeah, they only had 10 Speedsters. I know another one. I was talking about um, the friends uh, that we drive together with, and one of them has a second of the of the 10. So we have 20% of the <laughs> French Speedsters. <laughs> Nobody knows what happened to, that, to the eight others uh, over the years. But this car, I, I don't know much about it, except um, in 2015, I was talking uh, on the phone with a friend in southern France who was restoring a 1958 Speedster for himself. Also has a 54 Pre Coupe, and we were, you know, chatting. And and I was finished. I I, need, I needed a project, and I said, "Well, do you do you know a Speedster project somewhere?" And uh, you know, not even hoping a yes. And I said, yes, yeah, we just found one like a couple of weeks ago. It's forgotten. It's it's in Marseille. Nobody knows about it, but um, it might be for sale. And I said, well, what what year, what model, what color? And I said, okay, color is rust, and uh, <laughs> it's a pre A. That's all he knew. He, he knew it. It was a pre A. And you know, I love all very old Porsches. My dream car would be a split window, which is totally out of reach today. But of course, uh, the older the better for me. You know, I I like complicated cars to drive and I like crash boxes. I like uh, simple design, very, very basic stuff. I I love it. And uh, so a pre-A speedster was just like the totally impossible uh, find and impossible project. And there is no such thing as an unrestored pre-A speedster uh, laying around in France. So anyway, I, I asked him details and he sent me pictures that had been taken by a, a spotter he knew. And um, it turned out that this car, it has been in very bad shape for like 30 years at least. Um, wow. This car has been around. I, we don't know much about it because the the, the French have a hard time giving you uh, feedback about the, the, the previous life of the car, which is not the case. in oh, okay. so You can ask the, the federal government and you can find out where the car went, but maybe not anymore because of the you know data protection and stuff. But uh, we used to be able to do that anyway. In France, I didn't know much. I think this guy was um, he was uh, uh, from a gypsy family who had a junkyard. You know, so yes, these guys yes. they would they would pick up cars for nothing, mostly American cars. So <laughs> you know, big cars and sometimes Rolls royce or Bugattis, and they would get them for nothing. And I believe the car was probably. <clears throat> uh, I heard it was from Dijon uh, a little uh, at the same height, uh, height as uh, Paris, pretty much. But I have no proof of that. But the car was very rusty and I found it in Marseille and it was registered in southern France. But it probably registered the, the wreck only, you know, you, without presenting the car. Sure. Because I don't think you can get a car that bad in a Côte d'Azur, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's too sunny. The car had no floors, uh, you could, oh, you could wow. actually walk on the floor being inside the car, you know, mm-hmm. it, it had been sitting outside for ages, but it was all there, it never repainted, never wrecked, never touched, um, but partially uh, dismantled. So here's the story, the that gypsy guy bought the car a long time ago, probably in the eighties or even late seventies and um, kept it as is for a long time, then decided he would start restoring it. So he started dismantling, taking off bits and parts like the engine, the the windshield and stuff. Never got to it, eventually uh, passed away. And his son was already pretty close to 60, was selling uh, some cars because he had some interesting cars. Like he had the Bugatti, he had a Ferrari, he had this car and I haven't seen them, but I I know. And he only kept, he had a 906 and he kept the Porsche 906. Yeah, he he knew (laughs) probably, probably $2,000 for it, but you know, in the day. So he was selling pretty much everything else to to help um, restoring the 906 probably. So anyway, he he kind of knew what he had, but not totally, so in the end, it was a car really uh, worth saving, really. which was not as bad as it looked, and of course the being one of the very few European delivered speedster with the kilometers and stuff, so it, it was very interesting, so we brought the car back to Switzerland uh, it was a pretty uh, you know the I told you about the planets being in line yeah, sure. uh, for a very short period of time that year the the euro and the Swiss franc were even. Usually the euro <laughs> is higher. Yes, yes, But the price was always in euro. So it became suddenly like 15% cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Which was wow. not bad. So I had to bring it uh, into Switzerland with paying taxes, you know, because we're not part of the European Union.
1: Yep,
2: For us, but I didn't say that. Um You can cut that on your mouth <laughs> Um No, I mean it. Uh, No, I'm joking. Uh, So anyway, I I had to pay taxes on a wreck, you know, and I had a very, uh, you know, good, everything was good, you know, cheap car, cheap euro. So we get into Switzerland and for the next uh, two years, I started thinking about what to do with the car, how to do it. I contacted Reinhold, of course, course. and, you know, it, it was not in my, in my possibilities but uh, I I wish I had done it with him because he's he's really the best but that that was not uh, I couldn't afford it uh, to be be honest yeah so I I searched for other um, solutions I I was in contact he was very nice and and I have very good Italian friends and they kind of gave me all the good addresses you know they said okay I'm not not taking care of your car, but you can go to my body shop, you can go to my painter, you can go to my upholstery shop. Uh, but of course, I'm a graphic designer, I'm not a mechanic, so yes. yeah. I need someone to to take care of the the restoration as a whole because uh, it's very complicated to, you bring the car to a guy to do the body work and he will tell you stories, oh, I'm missing this, I'm missing that. He will finish it, then you will bring it to the painter, and say, oh, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. Of course, so, 10 years later, just, you're going through Europe with your car and it's never going to be finished. And in the end, you will give it to Renault who will say, no, I'm not taking it because I, <laughs> I didn't started. do
0: it. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So it's an endless story. So um, I, I started looking for other possibilities. And then I, I remember um, seeing some very nice cars being done in England and, you know, some... People are very, uh, good at, uh, metal shaping in England. They have a very good reputation for that. And, uh, the Italians I had visited were fantastic too, but you know, they were just doing this or just doing that, but not doing the whole course. And I contacted, uh, Kit Sum, the, the, the editor of uh, Porsche classic magazine, UK is now retired, but, uh, I had good contacts with him. I said, well, would you recommend anybody in the UK? And he gave me two addresses. And I wrote to both the exact same message, same pictures. And one of them answered something very, replied something very um, formal and said, okay, uh, we can do this, 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 that, that. And, and the other uh, was very friendly and explained to me the process and how he would do it. And if I wanted to call him and discuss the process. So I said, okay, I'm going to visit this guy, not the other one. <clears throat> and. Uh, it, it was Steve Curty from, uh, classic fabrications in, uh, in Devon. And he was the nicest person in the world. Very honest, very, uh, you know, um, uh, very simple person. And he was starting his business. So he was interesting in having some, uh, full restoration that he could also advertise. And so we were both happy with that. And we started a, uh, like a three year process, of course, not three years full time, but, uh, Sure. It's stretched over three years. And it's a long process because we were sometimes missing a small part here and there. And, and I was interested in finding that. You know, If you go to Rhino, you can just drop the wreck and it'll give it back to you better than you. But I'm, I like being part of the research and uh, archaeology. and you know. Great. So, yeah, that, that was the fun part. I like projects. You know, mm-hmm. I love cars, but I,
1: I like projects.
2: And so, three years.
1: Excuse me was it three did you say it was 3 years
2: yeah That's 3 years uh, so, yeah, yeah yeah and um we did everything uh, in england except the upholstery because i knew someone uh, in uh, champagne epernay uh, france and he does mainly like 99% uh, 356s and he was interested in doing it and so i brought the car to him and he did a, a great job we we looked for exact colors i had samples of uh, pieces from another friend of an unrestored seat from '55 that had not seen the sun. Or, you know those yeah, yeah, details. Yeah, yeah. And we went uh, as far as we could, uh, being precise. And now the car is is a
0: fantastic car. Yeah, it looks amazing. And,
1: yeah, Thank you. absolutely. And it, and it's it's the the fact. I mean, the thing that blew me away was that when Laura said to us, "You were pretty much shaking it down," as you were. Yeah. You know well, I,
2: these cars were meant to be driven. And I think the as hard as we drove it in Italy, it's not as hard as they were driven in the 50s because like most uh, roads had no pavements and, uh, you know, they would... Uh, drive through gravel dust rain and the mud would stick and they would, they would never wash they, they didn't care about the rust uh, and things like that because they never thought that those cars would last more than five or ten years know, so i think when we are harsh with them today we are very soft compared to the 50s yeah probably
0: <laughs> I, there is a. Uh, I find a lot of people even I, i'm very uh uh i love uh, new car enthusiasts driving my 356 just to give them an insight as to what a car was like sure mine's a lot more modern than yours i've got a 1960 but the when they get behind the wheel it's almost like they feel they've got to be gentle with it or it's like delicate or it's fragile or it's made out of glass or something the way they sit in it and drive it people drive modern cars just because i think you yeah, know the size of the car and you know, the, how the steering uh-huh. wheel feels in your hand compared to a modern car and its size of the steering wheel mm-hmm. and how light everything is to use because they're very light cars to drive, obviously. And, uh, yeah, I'm always looking at it going, what are you doing? Do you know what they did to these cars back when they were new, what, how they were driving them and racing them? You know, these were the hot yeah. rods of their era, you know. People just yeah. absolutely flogged these cars within an inch of their life, the same way these guys yeah. are flogging their current cars.
2: Yeah, when you see, uh, there are some videos of the, um, a race that's even worse than Mille Milia is uh, Liège, Rome-Liège. Yes. You know, yep. going from down to Rome, and, you know, back to Liège, I mean, to, to, from Belgium, you know, it's like 5,000 kilometers. Uh, you know, it's a huge distance, nonstop also. And you see those, um, there are some footage, uh, there is some footage of it like, where they cross the Alps with those Uh, mountain roads no pavement Mm -hmm. uh, no fences and they go downhill and they go as fast as they can with bias tires (laughs) and (laughs) they are crazy of course people were dying or breaking down but uh yeah we we are still very gentle when we when we think we're going and and our (laughs) roads are you know the fuel is better the 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 alloys for the engines are better the, the oil is better everything is yeah these cars have a nice life today compared to the old
1: days. Because <laughs> I always think about when I drive mine, because mine's obviously even, even newer, it's 1966, but similar to how Lara would have felt getting into yours, whereas it's, you know, dogleg first, it's uh, no seatbelts. And for her, at least the steering was on the right-hand side, so, the correct side for her. Whereas I, yeah. I use mine and mine's left-hand drive. It's a Milan-delivered car. And okay. I drive it in the UK. So I, I live in the countryside. So you can't overtake anything because I'm on the wrong side of the car because I can't see anything. And when I'm driving it, I drive it really hard. Sometimes I think, should I be driving? Because the noise, sometimes I love the noise. Sometimes I think it's really grinding in my ears because I think it's going to explode. And other mm-hmm. times, you know, where you just think, some days I just get in, and I think, I wonder what will happen if I make it go to the red line. And you drive it like that all the time. But then I don't have passengers in my car because of the fact that it doesn't have seatbelts. And it was only, I've had it a few years now. And I think about three, four weeks ago was the first time that my wife went in it as a passenger. And And it's the car that she looks at and she goes, I understand why you have that. It's a beautiful looking car. Whereas she looks at my 1998 911 996. And it's a pretty rough looking car. You know, it's, I, I don't look after it, but I use it every day. It's my everyday car. And mm-hmm. she's had to use that a few times and she hates that car. She just looks at it and goes, well, I don't understand why you have it. And, but when, when I was driving her in my 912, we were going to, uh, I think we were just going out for lunch and cyclists were waving and other drivers were waving. And she would look at the first guy waving and she went, who's that? And I went, I don't know. And then the guy in the Land Rover Defender sticks his arm out the window and he waves, and she goes, Who's that? And I'm I don't know. <laughs> and then we get the, the last guy, there's a bunch of cyclists coming past and they're all waving. And she went, Who are they? And I went, I don't know. And she just looked at me and she went, You guys are so weird. <laughs> and, it's, and it's that kind of, there's that kind of, you know the thing I like about those old cars, same as you, same as Mark, they're so mechanical, and every you almost mm-hmm. feel all the things that are connecting from your hand yeah. through the gear stick, through all the different levers to the gearbox inside the gearbox. It's almost yeah. like you can feel all those things changing. And the thing I don't like is, you know, when you sit in a modern Porsche, for example, I don't know what it's doing. I could be sat in a in, in a Citroen or a BMW or something like that because. To me, it doesn't feel that different. And for me, it's, you know, I work in a customer experience type environment. So to me, the the experience for me, it's very generic and vanilla. Whereas when I get into my 912, I know I'm in my 912. I used to have a 1968 MGB, a Roadster. And it wasn't the same kind of thing. Although I remember getting into that. It used to be stored at my sister's house. And I remember going there after two and a half years. I hadn't even been to see it. And I got in, I started it up, and I drove 150 miles. Wow. And I went, because so I got in, and I drove to the petrol station straight away. And I got out, and there was brake fluid all over my feet, because <laughs> wow. the, the master cylinder had leaked all over my foot. And I went in, I paid for my fuel, I bought some, you know, dot four or whatever it was the brake fluid and i just topped it off and i drove it 150 miles and it's because with old cars you can do that things go wrong and you just keep driving them whereas with a modern car something goes wrong engine warning light comes on and that's it you're done so i I love the whole experience i love the smell i love the slight feeling of terror sometimes when you think i'm not completely in control but i absolutely love it so it's yeah i'll i'll never i'll never get over that
2: yeah, that's something that's hard to to get. Uh, I agree with the new cars; uh, they are so perfect. You know, it makes sense. You know, with the Porsche, I always wanted to to their next car to be better than the previous one, of course. And um, like a friend of mine from the the 356 Club in Switzerland just passed away uh, last year. He was 86, and he had a small shop in Zurich. He was taking care of, uh, he had learned on Volkswagens and then he always had a Porsche. When he was 19, he bought his first used Porsche and it was a split window, of course. <laughs> and um, Zurich had plenty of Porsches uh, from day one because there was some Swiss money um, uh, invested in the communes cars already. So, that's why we got like um, 10 moons from the beginning, and things like that. But anyway, so his name is uh, Anzueli Oekster. At some point, he was taking care of Porsche 001, which was in private hand, you know, the wow. one from the museum. Yeah. And um, the owner said, okay, you can, you can have it. Uh, I want to trade it for a brand new 356. And I think he, he wasn't sure. He said it must have been 56 or 57. And uh, he said, "What? Well, are you crazy? I'm not trading a brand new Porsche for that Volkswagen. And it was Porsche 001. And he, he oh, always cool. regrets. it. I could have had it for the for uh, recent one. But, you know, from day one, they always tried to improve and make the next one better. And it makes sense that they still do today, of course. you Nobody would uh, accept uh, a car that has so much... Um, uh, which is so basic as a three hundred and fifty six today, but we all miss that at the same time you know if yeah. if I test drove a nine nine two that was noisy and shaking, I would say, well, Are they out of their minds or they, they should stop making cars <laughs> and if I test drive one that 's perfect, i say, Oh, too bad yeah. <laughs> Where is the fun <laughs> so yeah I, I guess it 's a um, it's a disease you you can't avoid, like the, the lack of, uh, of uh, emotions and you know s- senses and in a car it is difficult.
1: Yeah. Ugly. I agree completely because for me it's, I, I like those cars that I drive. They overpower my senses, and yeah. you know, and it's all just you're constantly adrenaline is going when you're driving it. And on the new ones, the the thing I think for me, just for me personally, it's that thing of. I want to know that the car is making me work. It's making me put an effort in and I'm constantly concentrating of what I'm, everything I do, every gear change, every clutch press, everything. It's very, I have to be very precise. I have to, I can't just do it in autopilot. I have to think about it and all of those things and the noise. And, you know, when I first got my uh, 912, I didn't know too much about them at that age, but there was lots of tinware that was missing. And it would overheat, but I didn't, the, the temperature gauge didn't work. So I didn't know it was overheating. <laughs> yeah. And people said, how did you know, how did you know that it was overheating? And I said, because I could feel the heat on the back of my head <laughs> coming through the vents. <laughs> and then you what think, oh, what? I exactly. So I took it, I took it to a garage and he went, yeah, your, your gauge doesn't work. And also uh. there's a ton of tin tinware missing and it's what's keeping it from, you know, the, the air-cooled part of it isn't working because the tinware is missing. So I put those things in. It made a massive difference. And it's that really easy way to determine what's wrong with it. You don't need to take it somewhere where someone's going to tell you something. Yeah. And you go, it could be that. I don't know. It's, you know, Someone's plugged the computer into it. I don't know. But I, I like the real basic nature of it. And you just feel everything through the wheels, through the steering, through the pedals, through the stick. And that for me, that that'll never get old. And obviously, Mark's got one, got one as well. Tell me, um, yeah, I was, on, I, was on, I was on pristine. Yeah, <laughs> no,
0: no, I'm you going to be driver.
2: The, oh, sorry, you you mentioned the senses. Uh, the the five of them almost are uh, included. Like you know, you get to the parking lot, you look at your car, so mm-hmm. the sight is something. Then you open the door, the, the, you touch it, and the sound when you you know you enter the car and it smells like an old car. If you have an unrestored car, which I love, you know the speedster, there was no way to keep it original. But as me, as Lara mentioned, I have uh, my my stepfather's uh, 356 SC. It's a '64 model. Uh, it's, uh, registered in late '63, and he bought it when it was six months old, and it's almost a first-hand car. And it's still, I still have it and the inside has never been touched. We just had to change the front carpet because it was gone. But it smells like when I was, the first time I entered the car, I was three and a half. And um, so it still smells like when I was a kid. And when you touch the the vinyl, it has a feeling of an an old quality car and the steering wheel with that kind of bakelite style of the Bs and the Cs. Everything... uh, it touches your senses and you look at the gauges, they are special and, and the sound of the engine, you know, the, the noise, the sound, the smell,
1: the sights, everything, uh, it, it's just the taste, <laughs> but we can oh, get absolutely. to that. Absolutely. And one of the yeah. things that I wanted to ask you, because you, you mentioned the thing about being in that car when you were three and a half. Yes. So your, your passion for cars and, and old, the older cars did it start when you were that young and did it constantly go on through your life or was it? did it come on uh, at a certain age where you yes, acquire one?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, my mom told me that um, before I went to school, we started school at four and before I went to school, I would um, play with my dinkies and corgis and, you know, those cars uh, yep. we all had them, And um, I knew there was something written under them. You know, I, I would... Uh, play with the car and call my mom and said, what is this? And she would look at it and say, oh, it says Mustang. Okay. So I would keep on playing with it. And the next day I would be uh, in town and, and see a similar car for real and say, oh mom, look at the Mustang. So that's how it started. And she told me I knew the, the brands of the cars before I knew how to write or read. But because she had told me the the brands uh, from the Dinkies, you know, so. So that, that, yeah, it's, it's always been part of me. Yeah. yeah. I, everything that's, um, shape, you know, I'm, I'm a designer, so I've always been into shapes. I love, um, uh, sounds. I love, uh, everything that has an engine. I love old airplanes, old motorcycles. Uh, I I love to, I don't know them, but I, I like old trains, old, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, everything that's mechanical has, has always appealed to me. But on the design style uh, side, I mean, I'm not, uh, I don't know all the details about the engines. I know what you have to know, how they change, how it works and things like that. But I'm more uh, a designer guy than a, uh,
1: technical guy, yeah. So I agree with that completely because there's there's things that because I I quite like the mechanical side of it, but I don't like to work on them. I'm not particularly great at getting my hands dirty, but I like the fact knowing that this is what makes it that. And oh yeah, for yeah me. Yeah, I know yeah, yeah. And and yeah. for me, it was the were you saying about the design because the 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 car that really first caught my imagination was my my dad when I was very young. He worked at Jaguar Cars. And I went, I used to play football for my school team. And on my way back on a Saturday, if he was working, I would walk in there to get a lift off him to go home. And I remember when they had a display and they'd just launched the XJ220, you know, this space age Uh looking car. And next to it in this display at the factory was an E-Type. And I remember looking at this E-Type and having my face up against the glass and thinking, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen look at the shape of it look how long yeah. it is it's huge i mean now you look at it and it's not huge but it's really long and i just well, the proportions,
2: yeah are very special yeah. you're sitting there almost on the rear wheels and you're Exa- straight no. six- forever yeah exactly
1: yeah. and and it was the fact that you know you could see the inside and it was the the mix of wood leather silver metal you know the 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 steering wheel with the metal spokes And and I remember looking at and obviously wire wheels, and I remember looking at it and thinking that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And so when I was a teenager or early twenties, and I bought that MGB Roadster, I bought that because it was marketed or people talked about it as the poor man's E Type, because it was a slightly squarer, smaller version of that. And it was I mean it was it was terribly built. It was really archaic technology even in the sixties. But it was just something that gave me this feeling that I could drive. And, and I put it together, not knowing anything about cars. I took a book, a Haynes manual, and I put it together. And every now and again, my dad would help me. But I did it myself. And I had this great, feel. I had it for, you know, 20, more than 20 years. And I sold it because I, I didn't use it. It was just sat in storage. And the day I sold it, it was that thing where I got in and I hadn't used it for two years. And it started up first time, straight away. And it sat there purring and I drove it. It was in autumn and the sun suddenly came out. I got the top down and I could have cried. I thought, why am I selling this car? I've had it so long. And it was the last thing that me and my dad worked on, you know, before he died. And, but it was just, it was just the right thing to do because I felt like it was a neglected friend that I'd left in a corner. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to sell it. Uh, but, but when I got in it, it was, it was all those same sensations. They instantly come back to you and the memories and everything. And which is why I think, you know, eventually I will get to drive an E-Type just to experience it. But for me, I'm late to the Porsche brand, uh, whereas Mark's got a big history in modern Porsches and classic Porsches. Um, And I, I just feel like I want to experience as many older cars as possible. And from your history, so where did you first delve into, where did you first buy your first vintage classic car that gave you that feeling?
2: Um, my very, very first car was, I was 18 and my mom, she had a a Renault five. You remember those? Mm -hmm. It was outdated and the garage wouldn't give her much money for it. So she said, okay, you can have it, you know, like they would give 500 Swiss francs, which was close to 500 euros now. And she said, okay, for that price, you can have it. I said, okay, thanks. And I took the car. Brought it to my cousin who has a garage, and I said, Can you go to the technical control for me? Because I'd like to sell it. And I, I never <laughs> drove the car. I, saw, I asked my mom if, if it was okay with her. She said, Yeah, yeah it's your car. You do whatever you want. I sold it for a good price, like 2800 or something like that, if I remember wow. right. And uh, instead of the 500 the garage was offering, and and I Went to Lausanne, about uh, sixty miles from here, and uh, bought a 1959 Ford (laughs) and brought it back. And uh, my first car was a 59 Ford with a you know four on the tree, and uh, you know it uh, it was like a a, a German Ford, a Tanus and it was like a a, a tiny. uh, You you had the Vauxhalls in England. It's it was like a downsized American car, you know, from the 50s.
1: And, with a big chrome, uh, chrome grill on the front?
2: Two-tone, two-tone yeah. yeah, blue and white, and white uh, top. And I was the only, with a bench seat, I was the only guy interested in that. And I would drive around like this forever <laughs> in the 70s, <laughs> alone, With that big steering wheel, and I was the king of the world. And and all my friends, they just, you know, the, 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 the Golf GTI had, had just... Uh, come out and they wanted the Golf GTI. I said, What do you want to do with the Golf GTI? Which I like now, the early ones. But in those days, no, I'll drive my Ford. I don't care about those margin cars. So, yeah, that's that's the first one. And then I was, uh, uh, eventually I went into Volkswagens, which are the cousins, of course, or mm. uh, very close family to Porsche, of course. And um, I loved Volkswagens. I had all the, the body shapes you can name, including very interesting ones because they were available in Switzerland. They were very cheap in those days. It's looking at uh, 87, uh, ni- 89, 90. You know, I had a 21 uh, window Samba first paint, uh, wow. gray and white, that I got for 5,000. And you know, it was mint, yeah. first paint, <laughs> shiny, you know, things <laughs> like that. So. Carmen gear Oval Window, name it we, They were available, but uh, we had lots of fun with those cars. And I was still hoping I would be able... You know, my mom and my stepfather had separated. had divorced by that time when I was uh, still a kid. And, and I always dreamed of finding maybe a little bit, you know, what happened to this car, you know. So he was living in Geneva. We, went, we came back to Sion in the Alps, where I live now, uh, where we were... Um, uh, from at the beginning. And every time I would go to Geneva, uh, since I was 18, I would go around garages, hoping to see the the roof of that car, you know, that could have been the kind of a fantasy of finding that Porsche. And uh, one day, I think it was 1992, a friend of mine who was a policeman, he said, uh, I, I explained to him, yeah, I'd like to find that car, you know, and said, what color is that car? I said, it's, it's uh, you know, it's slate gray. Um, and he uh, said, well, what's the name of your stepfather? And I gave him the name. So. Yeah, I know him. He lives there. He's back here in the mountains. He lives there, but he still has a car. He said, come on, oh. he does? <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah. He showed it to me. I've seen it. And I showed him pictures. I said, does it look like this? And I said, yeah, it's that car. He still has it. And wow. so... My stepfather is a very nice person but very complicated one. So you never know when you talk to him if it's real, if it's not, if he has it, if he hasn't. So it took me from nineteen ninety two to two thousand seven to see the car, just oh, to be able to see how and never stopped. I kept, you know, calling him once in a while. I said, "Okay, I've sold it." And then he said, "No, I promised it to a friend." And then, no, I sold it years ago. No, I still have it, but a friend is going to come pick it up. So, so can I just see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah you can. When? Ah, call me back. You know. <laughs> and, uh, oh, wow. From '92 to 2007, I went through different. Uh, old cars and i had restored a 1948 ford uh, american one this time kind of a hot rod uh, old style hot rod and um i sold that for a good amount of money and for the first time i had money uh you know together for the first time because i would always like we probably all did buy a car for this price make it better sell it a little more get the next one you know climb the ladder Mm -hmm. It's always a matter of selling for the next, you know? And suddenly I, I had sold this car because somebody wanted it real bad. And I thought, okay, I'm never going to sell it better than this. So it's, I let it go and I had some money and I told a friend, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to get a 356 because I've been dreaming about that forever. So I will start searching for a good one. And he told me, why don't you call your stepfather and, and ask him to sell it to you? I said, wow, I didn't even think of it, you know. Uh, I just wanted to see it, to see if he still had it, what he wanted to do, blah, blah, blah. But I never thought of buying it from him. So I called him, and after, like, I hadn't seen the car in 34 years, that's it, <laughs> 1973. <Wow. laughs> so that's, so it was like fantasies in my head. And uh, I I called him and I said, "Well, I have something special to ask. Uh, I don't know if you agree or not, but anyway, here is the situation. I have uh, some money and I and I'd like to to buy the Porsche from you if it's possible." I said, "Yeah, no problem." <laughs> I said, "What? <laughs> you know, from '92 to 2007." So I look at my phone and is, <laughs> is it working? Is it the right number? <laughs> person. And he said, yeah, yeah. Uh, I said, well, I'd like to come and see it because uh, I don't even know how it, what shape it's in now. And he said, yeah, of course, of course, you know, there's probably a lot of work. And I said, okay, can I come this weekend? And he said, uh, no, this weekend I have something. It, it started again, you know, yeah, yeah. In that uh, right. someday you'll see it, you know, and uh, I called him a couple of times and he always had a good excuse. And, and I don't know why pretty much like, you know, when I, you have that energy in your head, Yeah. I woke up one, one morning, I remember it was a Wednesday again, I think Wednesdays are my good days. And um, I I woke up, I get up and I say, okay, today I'm gonna see the, the car. So I took my, I had books, you know, I had books about serial numbers and stuff. I had been uh, reading forever and I had books about 356s of course. So I take all my documentation, go to work, and at like 5, 5.30 p.m., I, I call him and I said, uh, yeah, are you home tonight? I'd like to come and see the, the car. I said, well, you know, I'm doing some shopping. I said, yeah, but when stores close, you're gonna go home, right? <laughs> uh, yes, okay, I'll see you at 6.30 uh, in front of your place. I said, okay, <laughs> so he didn't have a choice. So I went there and he was waiting for me in the street and he said, okay, let's, uh, you want to see the car? Okay, let's go see the car. And, you know, we, we went, it was easy. We were finally, uh, since 1992, you know, 2007. It's a long time. And we go there and um, he opens a a single uh, car garage. And here is the car sitting on stands since 1977, covered <laughs> with dust, a true bonfire. find. And I look at the car and tons of memories pop up in my mind. Because, you know, it's like uh, seeing the car, I had stories coming back to my head instantly. And I was very impressed and I opened the door and it smelled exactly like when I was eight. And uh, so that was very strange. And I sat in the car and I looked at it. And before turning around, I looked at my stepdad. I said, here behind me, there is a small thermometer with a red car. And it's one of those uh, thermometers that work. It's like a spring you know, that works with heat. Yes. No, no uh, metal in it. And I said, behind me, there is that little thing. He said, I don't know. And I turned around and it was there. And I remember wow. since I was a kid, but I'd forgotten about it. I just, just popped up okay, when I was, uh,
1: yeah.
2: So, okay. I said, I, I, I want to, to buy it and he wouldn't give me a price. And it was a long process and kept asking. And I realized we were, we were not going anywhere. And it was uh, late September, it was getting cold because it was in the mountains. So I said, okay, let's go have a, a drink. Let's go have a glass of wine. You know, we are, we are in the largest uh, winemaking area of Switzerland. So let's, let's go have a, a drink. He said, yeah, good idea. So we went to the cafe and, and a couple of drinks. And he stopped talking, 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 talking. And I said, well, so do you have an idea of a price for the car? He said, no, the price, I kept it for you. Uh, there's no way I'm going to sell it to you. I'm giving it to you because I kept it, but I wanted to wait for the right moment because he was worried that I would like crash the car, hurt myself, ruin myself, restoring it or whatever. And he had kept it all those years for me. And it was so much information that I couldn't have any reaction. And I apologized. I said, well, I'm sorry. It's too much. I I wasn't even, wow, nothing, you know? (laughs) I, I was very happy, but like paralyzed. And I said, Great. And I wish I could be more expressive, but I couldn't. And uh, So anyway, we came back three weeks later with a, a friend of mine and his trailer. And we loaded the car and, and did a cosmetic restoration. The inside was kept. We did all the mechanics new to be reliable and safe. But the car is like all the chrome, all the, every single piece of rubber is original, uh, Every chrome, everything. It's a very, very nice car. Very, and it's a fast car, too. It's close to your 912, and it's, it's a great car.
1: And you still have yeah. it, and it's still it's used regularly. Well, it's not
2: mine. It's my son's, I told him. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, so it's going on. And uh, so, yeah, of course, of course, it's a car you can sell. You know, I've been waiting 34 years for it. You can sell it. Uh,
1: yes, money- that's, a, that's a fantastic
0: story. That is amazing. Yeah. 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 Money couldn't buy that car. Yeah. As you found out, yes, <laughs> so no, I, I, I,
1: I, I, I think
0: it's a, oh, oh. I an. we've got internet glitch. No, I was just saying, uh, Bernard. As you found out, money could not buy it. It was given to you. So the it's a yeah uh, yeah. You know, look, I I think it, had I been in your position, I probably would have burst into tears when it was given when um, your stepdad gave it to me.
2: Well, that's what I thought too, but I just couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't have any. <laughs> any, nothing, you know, uh, but I was uh, extremely happy, of course. And it was kind of unreal. So after all these years, it was probably too much, you know, because I'd been waiting yeah. for that moment for so long, not even thinking it would ever happen, you know? Yeah. And yeah. You, you have to realize that I, the, the evening he gave it to me, I hadn't seen it since 1973. So that's 34 years without seeing the car, wanting to see it, the car and getting it. So it's a lot at the same time, it's a lot.
0: So slate gray car, has it got a uh, red leather interior?
2: Uh, no, it's a phone interior, which is unusual and very, very elegant.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's, it looks uh, more, I think more stylish than with the red one. The red one is a little more sporty, but uh, I really like the, the, the combo, it's beautiful.
0: Yeah. yeah, lovely. You said yourself, you like projects. The speedster uh, yes. uh, obviously needs maintenance and those sorts of things would have been sorted out after the millimilia. What's the next project?
2: The next project, um, um, well, after the DSC, um, do we still have time because it's a long story? <laughs> <laughs> do we have time for the Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, okay. So in 2011, uh, we go with the, the Swiss club um, for the 20th, 20th anniversary of the club, we go to uh, the museum in Stuttgart. And the president of the club was a, a school friend of mine. We, we, we had been uh, to school together uh, in 79 already. So we decided to go a day ahead, not with the club, and go through the black forest and with our wives and, uh, and, and spend the night in a small hotel on the way. And in the evening, we we talk, you know, talk Porsche stuff and you know, like like we would do if we were together. And he says, uh, well, they are still around, you know. Somebody called me last year and uh, said, well, I have this uh, pre A uh, for sale and it's a convertible. And uh, would you be interested? And he, they called him because he was the president of the club. And he's kind of a he he's kind of a, a very intellectual guy that forgets stuff, you know, kind of a professor, you know, sure, sure. Uh, I don't know how to describe it in English, but, uh, um, anyway, so he said, Oh yeah, I'm interested. He has a 54 himself and he just forgot to go see the car. The guy told him, <laughs> uh, you can, you, can, you can, come, uh, in his, well, that was like January. I said, Oh, in March. And he was just like, uh, 60 miles away from the car, you know, not a uh, thousand miles. Yeah, and he said, like in two months, there is the Geneva auto show. So maybe I'll drop by, the car was in Geneva. And he said, I'll drop by and take a look at it. And he forgot. <laughs> and uh, in July, the guy calls him back I said, well, it never came. And they said, oh yeah, I forgot, I forgot. So he decided to finally go. And now we're talking born fine because the the, they couldn't open the door because the, the, the plants had closed the door, like, in a, you know, in really? a castle. Like, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. You, you know, and um, the story was close to mine, but uh, the other way around, like uh, this guy's mom had married. Um, uh, she was a widow and had remarried a guy with a Porsche, just like my mom. In Geneva, just like my mom. And uh, they they got married, except they finished their days together. And um, they even, he passed away and she passed away not long later. And anyway, he inherited everything because this uh, this man had no children. So he inherited the small house and the car that was next to it in the tiny, tiny, tiny garage. It's good for a Porsche, but not much yeah. more. Yeah. And um, he even had to break a wall to, to fit the, the front fender. <laughs> it was so terrible. So, uh, anyway, he took care of the house for a couple of years to restore it. He, he was going to sell it. And then it was time to, to empty the garage. And he went to the Porsche um, dealership in Geneva and they, they told him, oh, we're not interested, we're not doing old cars. And then one of the dealers said, okay, I can help you out. I'll give you 2000 for it. And, and he was um, You dumb. Know, he went to, to check on the internet and he saw that this guy was a crook. So he said, oh, I'm never going to contact these guys again. So he, he called my friend eventually, uh, looking at the club on the internet. And my friend goes there, he tells me the story. And I said, well, that was last July and this is June the next year. So I said, "Do you have pictures of that car?" And he said, "Yeah. How was the car? Yeah, it was a light blue with a red interior." But I was disappointed. It was not a convertible. It was a sunroof. I said, "Wow, pre A sunroof, and uh, that's interesting." And uh, yeah, he said, yeah, I didn't buy it, and he wanted too much money, and which was nothing for today. And um, so, I said, send me pictures when we're home, just for the fun of it. And uh, we, we go to Stuttgart, we come back, and I would get the pictures, send him an email, forget, send him another email a week later, just to be curious, you know? And um, I called him, I said, well, you don't want to show me the car? I said, oh yeah, I forgot, I'm sorry. I said, I'm in front of my computer, send them. Okay, I'll send them. <laughs> send the pictures. And, um, and I look at this car, which is absolutely intact, uh, it's been sitting for more than my stepdad it, it was there since 1980, and we're uh, 2011. That's 31 years. The other one was, uh, uh, was oh, well, 30 years, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I said, do you think he still has it? I s- he says, well, I don't know. I said, are you interested? Well, no, not really. Do, do you mind if I call him? Uh, no, I still have his number, I can give you his number. So I said, okay. And I didn't wait six months, you know, I called him <laughs> right away and he uh, was very nice. He said, well, I finished the house, I was going to put the car on the internet. And uh, I said, okay, can we meet? And that was a Thursday and I said, okay. He said, oh, well, I the house only on weekends because I live far away and I come to work on weekends. on the house. So I'll be there on Sunday. I said, what time are you there on Sunday? He said, oh, I'm there from 6.30 in the morning. "So okay, I'll be there at 7. And it's a <laughs> two-hour drive. <laughs> wow. <laughs> said, I'll be there at 7. I said, great, I'll prepare some coffee and cookies and you can come. And I told my friend, he said, do you mind if I go with you? He no, of course not. And so we go there and he opens the doors. And I, The more I look at the car, the, the more crazy I get. The car is full of unusual options. It's got a sunroof, it's got a, the horn ring, it's got uh, chrome wheels, chrome bumpers, not even on the catalog. Fog lights, recessed fog lights that appear only in 56. Just the incredible car. Very good shape in general. Unfortunately, stored in a humid environment, mm-hmm. which is the case in Geneva. Not as bad as England, but still. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the he's got everything, receipts, uh, papers, uh, sets of keys gloves everything and uh we we start talking about buying the car and he goes to a certain price and i go much lower and we agree on a very 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 reasonable price which is nothing for today when i tell my friends how much i paid for it, it get crazy but anyway it was something i could afford at the moment and he was happy because he would i told him you know if you sell it to me it's going. In good hands i'm not a dealer so i'm gonna keep it so i took this car and um the, the, the engine um uh, was frozen so but the car was good so we did the same as the other one with all the mechanics back to restore them and to be reliable and safe it's always my my motto reliable and safe and so you have you can enjoy them but we didn't touch anything else and everybody loved it and at that time, as uh, I was doing some um, clothes design for, for France and uh, he's, there was an air show in Sion and I said, okay, let's use the, the car. We, we make it as a race car from the 50s. And I did a Carrera Panamericana style,
0: oh, yeah, yeah. but fake that
2: I did. And everybody loved it. And I was thinking of restoring the car, but do that just for the weekend and we would restore it anyway and everybody loved it and we kept it like that for 10 years and it's been on the Porsche registry, Porsche Classic England, Porsche in uh, Germany, French Magazine Speedster, Flat 6, whatever, name it, it's been all over and everybody loves it because it looks like if it's a born fresh Carrera up an American car, I put sit there, else and a you know um, a rosary and you yeah, know uh, jesus yeah. pictures and stuff so it, it's very fun and now the wow. best story is here to come uh last year i i'm on facebook and i i look at uh you know i i go through pictures on my page the pre-a page and somebody posted uh pictures from the merano uh, meeting you know the, the first ever Official Porsche meeting was in Merano fifty-five, six, seven, 6, 7, and 8. They were sponsored by the factory. And every time yes. I see these old pictures, because I knew my car was from Germany, from Düsseldorf. And I every time I see those pictures, I try to spot my car, you know, because it's so recognizable with the chrome bumpers. Yes. And I've done that for five years, you know, and, and one evening I said, Gee, that must be our car. It's black because it was originally black. It's been repainted blue. Chrome bumpers, sunroof, German plates. And I called Reinhold, the famous restorer, And I said, well, what what does this R mean in front of the license plate? And he said, well, that's a British occupation uh, after World War II until 1956. And R is for Dusseldorf. I said, well, that's our car. I'm 99%. This is our car. So all I had was on the cardex. I had the last name of the, the first owner. His name was Hunebeck. And from this up, that's all I knew. So I asked, Reynald, do you have lists of the people? Because it's very close to me, uh, sure. I said, do you have lists of the people who took part uh, in, in those rallies? I said, no, I don't, but you, you can call uh, Marinello in Zurich. He, he must have that, he keeps everything. So I call Marco in Zurich, who is a very nice person, very, uh, he knows everything about early Porsches. And he so, said, well, I don't, but I'll ask uh, Frank Jung at the museum. He's the uh, the official archivist for Porsche. I'll ask him. So he forwards the pictures to Frank and uh, Frank three days later said, okay, I, I don't have the list, but I can give you the press release from the meeting. And on the picture you can tell it's kind of a, a uh, a prize ceremony, a prize-giving ceremony, like three cars, a line, and people standing on each side. And uh, on the press release, it says, uh, longest distance, number one, such and such from Zurich. Number two, Mr. Hayo Hunebeck from Dusseldorf. So I said, well, now I know his first name, and that's <laughs> definitely our car, you know? Yes. So very proud of myself. I forward the picture to... Albert Hefner in, um, in Germany was Classic Parts France. He's just across the border from France. He has Classic Parts France. Very uh, reliable uh, pre-A source. He's got every single codex of every pre-A. He's got a pre-A registry. He knows 3,000 existing pre-A's. Yeah, okay. wow. So send him the picture. And I'm very proud to say, okay, see that? That's uh, my car and that's in Murano. I said, yeah, that's cool. Did you see who is holding the, the driver's door? I said, no, I didn't check. Well, that's Ferry Porsche. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> no. like,
2: holding the door is Ferry Porsche. And uh, the, so I have his last name. I, I look him up in the internet and he, he passed away in 1990. And I found uh, the, how you say, arbitrary? yes. Uh, arbitrary. And there is the name of his two daughters. So now I look at his daughters and I find eventually an email for one of them. And I write to her and I send the picture. And she, she replied the next day and she said, wow, fantastic, that's my father. And uh, she identified everybody on the pictures. She said, that's my father. That's his best friend who passed away last year. That's his sister, that's his wife. And talking to his wife is Hushke von hanstein uh, responsible for Porsche uh, uh, competition for years and years, and himself a big driver. So then I learned that they were close to the Porsche family, and he ordered that car uh, with tons of options that would be on the catalog only six months later. So now I'm the next project, that's a long answer for a short question, but the next project is to forget that uh, Hollywood, Carrera, Panamericana, uh, part of the life of the car, and go back to as much originality as possible, put, go back to black. But the car is very untouched inside. Uh, it, like, the, um, I think it's the only sunroof with uh, the original headliner still in existence, to my knowledge. Wow. Like, I used that car t- to do the first Carrera which is a sunroof too. So the interior is intact. Nothing has been touched. Every single bulb uh, in, the, in the car is original. So I'm, I'm going to take it back to as much originality as possible. Take, that's the next project for next year. And hopefully by next fall, it's going to be very close. And last but not least, uh, I was looking for the Murano meeting badge because they only made 200 of them. So there are many left. And I put something on, on Facebook and said, does anybody have that badge available? No, some guys said, well, you might look here, you might find it there. And like two months later, um, Fred Hampton, the president of the 356 uh, Porsche Club England, uh, who is a very nice person too, writes to me and said, Bernard, did you find your badge? I said, no, not yet. Why do you, why do you want that badge? I said, and I explained to him the story. Yes. So well, I have it, and it's it's mint, it's in perfect shape. And I said, well, would you agree to sell it to me? And I said, no, no, I'm donating the badge to the car because that's where it belongs.
1: Wow! And just... <laughs> that's stunning.
2: And so that, that was fantastic, and so uh, the car is going to go back to as much originality as possible. And Reinold found me a, a D metal D to put in the bag, and I found just last week somebody who make play uh, exact copies of those 1950s plays so I can put back the original plates for shows, you know? Oh, lovely. And, and uh, you know, the owner was, he always drove Porsche all his life. That's what uh, his daughter told me. And he has albums from everything. And he has albums from the Moran meeting. And she scanned for me the, the window sticker that was the uh, participant number 103, the exact size so i'm going to put the sticker back in the window like uh, it was at uh, on that picture
0: so that's the next project that's am- that sounds amazing
1: that's an amazing yeah. story that's an amazing story and amazing how many people that you've met who've contributed to the history of that car are yeah. stunning and i'm sure i'm gonna discover
2: more she told me she probably has some footage of the meetings because uh, his, her dad was uh, shooting with a uh, Super 8 uh, camera, oh, many, many, things, and she's got tons of pictures from Porsche stuff. So I'm going to keep contact with her, of course, and of present course. the car to her when it's finished. Amazing.
0: The, yeah, this is this incredible. The, the, uh, this this uh, podcast has turned into an amazing experience for me, just uh, hearing about the background of some of these old pre-A cars because they're just so rare, you know, here in Australia. Yeah. So, but just so few of them came. But, um, yeah, look, it's been a great show today. I really appreciate your time, Bernard, and I know it's getting late for you over there and it's getting very early in the morning for me here. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been an amazing experience. Ajmal, is there anything else you'd like to ask
1: uh, Bernard? I, I, do you know what? I, I could talk for ages with Bernard. I, there's so much stuff I want to ask you, we haven't even asked you about Goodwood because you went to Revival, didn't you?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorite places, yeah. I I discovered Goodwood uh, through uh, the international pre-A meeting that we we do with Hefner. And the organizers were uh, John and Amanda Devreux from uh, Devon. And they said, okay, we're going to make the meeting uh, go together with the revival. And we went there, I think it was 2015, and I loved it so much that uh, we go back every other year with my wife, and we try to dress up differently every time. But I love that place. It's the well, best I'm going to see world.
1: you there. I'm going to see you there next year. Then I'm going to go next
2: uh, year. It's gonna be The year after the after next year. I was there this year, so it's oh, going to be right. yeah, 2024.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know that that's an amazing story, and I we could literally do another podcast. Just I, keep I think we.
0: I think we might. Let's, uh, this. I feel like we've hardly even, you know, t- touched the uh, edge of this one. So, anyway, <laughs> l- listeners, if, uh, let us know if you'd like to hear, uh, get Bernard on again. And I, I would, and I think Ajmar would too. I would, Let's, uh, so we'll try and tear it up if Bernard can fit us in. Yeah. I, um, I, will come with more stories. Give me a few <laughs> more projects. To talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we'll definitely, uh, yeah. we'll be in touch to get an update on how the, uh, the uh, restoration is yeah. going on that car there for, with the uh, the sunroof coupe there. So look, thank yeah. you very much for your time today, Bernard. I'm thank sure the, you. You know, the listeners are going to love fun. this. Yep, and uh, thank thanks you. everyone for listening.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah.